turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to begin in verse 22, uh, kind of the middle of the chapter. Uh, I'm going to, um, well, really the last half of the chapter. Um, I'm going to uh, read to you this morning really just a portion of, uh, of the story of this set of events. Um, I may, as we talk about it, I, I may share the whole thing with you, but you're probably familiar with it. Um, there's a lot of good points, a lot of good things to preach out of here. I know in my own ministry, I can sit here and think right now at the top of my head of at least two or three different things the Lord has had, has had me to bring out of this passage of Scripture before. And so anyways, uh, you'll probably be familiar with this here in Matthew chapter 14. But let's begin, let's begin at verse 22. Uh, and when we're done reading, we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14 says, In straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, uh, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Let's stop right there and go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the good day for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning in your name and to worship you in spirit and truth and to lift you up and to glorify you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you've poured out on us, Lord, and the freedom to be here. But we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. God, my heart's desire is everyone here would recognize you as, the Lord, as their own personal Lord and Savior, that they would recognize what it is that you've done for them. Lord, my heart's desire is for you to, is for you to move not only in our service, but in the hearts and lives of each one that is here this morning in a mighty way. So, Lord, I'm just asking here this morning, just have your way and your will in our midst. Do what only you can do, and we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. And so, Lord, I'm praying here specifically. Uh, Lord, I know there's ones that, that need uh, to be encouraged. I know there's ones that need to be lifted up. I know there's ones that need a, a physical touch in their body from you, Lord God. I know that there are ones here that just uh, uh, need to hear from you this morning. And Lord, if there's any here that doesn't know you, if there's any that are lost and undone, if there's any that are living in sin, any that are dabbling in sin, any that have fallen back into sin, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would just pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them today, God, and that you wouldn't give them any peace until they would get things right with you uh, before it's everlasting too late because that is the most important thing is our relationship with you, our walk 
with you. And so, Lord, I'm just asking, Lord, for you to just move, for you to just take over, for you just to have your way and your will here in this service. And, Lord, uh, I, I need to ask for myself, Lord, I need help here this morning. Uh, I, I just feel inadequate. I feel like I'm stumbling around. God, I just pray, Lord, that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts, Lord. I pray that you'd eliminate every distraction, God. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to focus on you and your message, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me here this morning to deliver your word and your message. God, uh, that I would just be an empty vessel for you to fill and for you to use here this morning. God, that you'd place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak here this morning. God, that everyone would know that it's from my spirit to them, but that it come from you, Lord. And I'm just the vessel that it comes through. And so, God, I'm praying, Lord, my heart's desire for your will to be done, your message to go forward, Lord. And I know that if your word goes forward, it will find its intended target and will accomplish your, in your intended uh, will, Lord, your, in your intentions, Lord. And so, Lord, I'm just praying here, Lord, asking for your anointing, God, asking for your holy unction, asking for the filling and moving of your spirit here this morning. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, just preach me one more time here this morning, and I'll give you all the glory. God, we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. God, we're looking to see souls added to your kingdom. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you look at what all has happened here uh, in this passage of Scripture, of course, if you're in our Bible study, you know that we'll, we'll be getting there before long one of these days, and, and, and we'll really pick this apart and study this. Uh, but if you were just to look, just to have some context, you'll see... Um, here in, in, in Matthew chapter 13, you see one of the great five, there's five sermons, that, or a lot of people break it and categorize it that way, five sermons are in the book of Matthew, right? And chapter 13 is Jesus' sermon and parables. And then in chapter 14, you see that John the Baptist is beheaded. Right, that is the beginning of the third and final year of Jesus' earthly ministry. And, and what he does from that point forward is he tries to um, take just the disciples, just the inner circle, the ones that we later become known as the apostles, and he tries to bring them and separate from the multitudes and from the great crowds, right, and to spend this final time, these final weeks and months in, in, in prayer and in, in preparation and uh, uh, preparing them for what is getting ready to happen and what the next stage uh, that God has got for them in, in the events that are going to unfold. And so as we look here in chapter 14, we see that uh, Jesus is doing just that thing. Word has come um, the, that John the Baptist has been executed uh, and he's been executed for preaching the truth. Uh, Jesus takes the, the disciples, he goes to separate, to move away, right? course the crowds follow him right that's when we see the feeding of the 5,000 right uh, the you know that uh, he feeds 5,000 men that's not counting women and children with a little boy's sack lunch uh, uh, that's what it boils down to and so we see the feeding of the 5,000 and then right once the feeding of the 5,000 takes place uh, what he does again is he goes up he he dismisses the crowds he sends actually first he sends his disciples and we'll we'll look at that a little closer in just a second but he sends his disciples away uh, and he, uh, he, he uh, back across the Sea of Galilee uh, which it's called a sea they call it a sea but if we were to look at it it's really just kind of a lake you know a big lake but anyways uh, uh, he sends them back across it 
uh, he dismisses the crowds, the multitude, and honestly, with the kind of crowd and multitudes that was there, I mean, we're talking, uh, could have easily been 20 plus thousand people there. That in itself seems to be a miracle to me. But anyways, he, send, he sends them, he goes alone, uh, he goes away alone into the mountain to pray, and then in the, in the middle of the night, actually in the wee hours of the morning, really is when it is, uh, here he comes walking on the water and we see and this is and I know I've preached on this before about Peter right Peter is the one that steps out of the boat right walks out on the sea to Jesus right I mean that's a step of faith is what that is stepping out of the boat right there's a pretty good sermon to be preached right there uh, stepping out of the boat right on into faith right we, we usually get on to Peter right we usually think negative about Peter because because whenever Peter began to, he took his eyes off Jesus and he begins to look around, he sees the storm that is raging around him, right? Which that kind of symbolizes the storms in our lives, right? Whenever we begin to uh, take our focus off of God and we take our focus off of Jesus and we put it on the things, the troubles, the trials, the storms of life that's going on around us, what happens, right? We begin to sink. That's what Peter did. He began to sink, right? And we usually are kind of harsh on Peter, right? Because of that moment of, uh, of fear and doubt and, and whatever, however you want to call that. He takes his eyes off the Lord and he begins to doubt. But I always say, here's the thing. Peter is the only one of the bunch that even got out of the boat. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's really a sermon in that. We need to get out of the boat. That's not what I come to preach to you about this morning. It would have been a good one, though, right? <laughs> There's a phrase, and it's where I ended. Be, or it's, the ver it's in the verse that I ended on. Be of good cheer. That's what stood out to me. That's what the Lord impressed upon me to preach to you about this morning. Be of good cheer. Uh, if you have been around me and heard my preaching for a while, um, you will see, you will know that I'm a little bit out of my element here this morning. Um, God, I've noticed strictly the observation of Justin Lawson for what it's worth. I've listened to a lot of preachers. I ain't talking about TV preachers. I'm not talking about ones that you can, I mean, there's good preachers on the radio and things like that. I, I'm not saying anything negative about them. What I am saying is is not the same thing as being in the presence, being in the being in the sanctuary of God together with them to be praying with them and for them, to be worshiping with them, and to set under the anointed preaching of God. That is a whole nother level of experience, all right? And the Spirit will show you some things, and there's some things that you can see and you can recognize, and the Spirit deals with you in a unique way in that setting. That is why God himself, that's why God makes it so clear to us in his word. I believe it's Hebrews 10:25 where it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, right? But so much the more as we see the day approaching, right? That's why uh, TV church don't work. That's why internet or Facebook church don't work, right? You can get some encouragement along the way, right? That can there can be a little snack there to kind of help you, boost you, you know, maybe on the radio 
windows, you're going through the car, right? You can get a little bit of feeding that away, but it's not a substitute for it. It does not take the place of. God never intended for that to be a substitute for. He never intended for us to stop assembling together and worshiping Him together, right? And exercising the gifts of God, or the gifts of the Spirit of God together. He never intended for that. We are still yet, right? That's just little bonuses. That's just little additions too. And what I started to say is, is I've been in the presence of and, and under the preaching of many, uh, many, many different ministers in my short time serving the Lord. And I have noticed if you will hear ones preach enough, it seems like God gives each one a little bit of a unique voice. You'll hear some preachers that just almost, no, not every sermon, but almost every sermon, there is a heavy evangelistic, you know, salvation message there. There is some that will be a heavy encouragement message, just message after message after message after message. There is some uh, that will be holiness preachers. Seems like that's more and lacking today than in, in times past, right? That's something that's not popular. Don't draw big crowns today, right? Uh, I guess if, if, if you were going to have those broad of categories, that's probably the one I fall under. If you will notice, my message is almost one after one, uh, one after another, is, is, is really, it's straighten up and fly, fly right, you know. It's get in there, right? If you're going to wear the name tag Christian, then we need to act like it, right? Uh, we need to get in there and we need to serve God, right? And we need to live a life that matches our profession, the things that we say. Uh, that's why I always say I'm kind of attracted uh, to, to James. To the, to the book of James, right? Because that's what James was saying. James said that your, uh, that your faith without works is dead, right? If your actions don't match your words, your words don't mean much. Live a holy life, right? The holy and blameless, right? It's our reasonable duty. Be of good courage don't really fit into that category. That's why I said I'm a little bit out of my element here this morning. But this is the message that God's got for us. This is what we need to hear this morning. And so as I begin to pour through the scripture, I see five different instances where God uses this phrase, or Jesus literally says this phrase, be of good courage, or be of good cheer, I mean. Be of good cheer. Now, there, the, you actually will find that phrase like seven or eight times in the Bible but I'm not counting parallel accounts. Just like what I've just read to you this morning, uh, that appears in, in the other Gospels as well. And so if the phrase, be of good cheer, is in the parallel account, I'm not, I'm not necessarily counting that, but I'm talking about five separate incidents, no matter how many times those incidents are recorded, uh, that we, that we hear, hear this phrase, right? And four of these statements are made during Jesus' earthly ministry. What I mean by that is I mean before the resurrection from the dead, and then there is one that is, that is after the resurrection. Actually, it's after his ascension, okay? Uh, the, the, where he ascended to heaven, okay? And so anyways, we see this, right? So that's what is that? That's five different times 
that we see that. This phrase, uh, be of good cheer, it means uh, take heart, right? That's another way you could say that, or we might say it, right? Be of good courage. If I'm not thinking about it, that's kind of where my mind defaults when I read uh, be of good cheer. I think be of good courage, right? If you take the phrase in a very literal sense, right, it's literally saying uh, lift your chin up or, um, or, or pick up your head. Lift your chin up, pick up your head, right? When we're down, what do we tend to do? We have our head down, right? And so that's where that phrase, the the Greek word there in the original language is literally saying, uh, lift up your chin, pick your head up, right? In other words, that's to take courage, right? Take heart, be of good cheer, right? Be of good courage. What is interesting to me, if you study these Five different instances, and, you, and you, you run all the references, you look at every one of them that has a parallel account in one of, the, one of the other Gospels, you read, and you read the context around them, and you begin to try to get a picture. You put all those details together, and you try to get a picture of what was happening, what was the scene, what was going on around them when each one of these is taking place. What is interesting to me is without exception, in each and every case, he says this in the darkness of night. In the darkness of night, he says to them, be of good cheer. When we look at that in the darkness of night... It is not only physically, literally, like, right, what I'm reading right here, right? This is, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. Well, it's still dark, right? This is like in the fourth watch, right? So, I mean, what is that, between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever? Uh, Here he is coming to them in the darkest part of the night. And he's saying to them, be of good cheer. But it's also... Spiritually, emotionally, where they're at, right? What they're feeling. It's in the darkest part of their life or what they're going through in that moment. He said, what he's doing is he said this to them in situations where the folks were hopeless and helpless. That's really what's meant by in the darkness of the night, right? We see physically it is in the darkness of night. But as far as what they're going through, it's in a moment of absolute hopelessness and helplessness, right? If we look at, um, if we look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 2, I don't necessarily intend to go there, but it says there, Behold, they brought to him a sick man of the palsy, laying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven. If we look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 50, another place where this occurs, it says, For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. If we look at John chapter 16 and verse 33, these, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good Cheer, I have overcome the world. Uh, In Acts chapter 23 and verse 11, right? That's the one time after his ascension. It says, in the night following the Lord, right? Catch that, in the night. In the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, 
For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And then here in the verse I read to you in our text, verse 27, right? But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. So let's look at this. Let's look at what has happened here. If you go back to where I started in verse 22 and in verse 23, let me read those to you again. And listen for the hesitation in this, okay? And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. The word constrained, okay? Um, if we go back to the original language, to the Greek, it means to necessitate or to compel, right? That's pretty close to, I mean, literally it means to press or to force, right? That's kind of what it means or can mean in English as well, right? That constraint, right? It, it looks like, if you look at that and you begin to analyze this, it looks like the disciples didn't want to go. Now, why they didn't want to go, we really don't know for sure. That's just speculation, right? There's two things that I could speculate. Maybe you can think of something better than this, but just purely my speculation, right? All it tells us is that he had to constrain them to go. And we should understand from that that means they really didn't want to go, uh, but he had to kind of push them to go, right? He, had to, he told them they must go, right? Uh, matter of fact, I think if you read it, the same account in Mark, it uses the word must, if I remember right. But anyways, he's telling them they must go, right? He, he's kind of forcing them, kind of pushing them, right? You've got to go. And so they obey him and they go. Why did they not want to go? Well, I mean, he's not dismissed the crowds yet, or he is dismissing, dismissing the crowds, just dismissed them. Maybe they didn't want to leave Jesus. I can see that, you know. They didn't want to leave him. They might have been thinking, well, how is he going to get back, right? How are we going to get, you know, connected with him again? We're his followers. We're his disciples. Where he goes, we go, you know. That, maybe that was their thinking. There's also the possibility at least four of these men were professional fishermen that had spent their life, or at least their adult life, Right there on that very body of water, fishing for a living. Maybe they saw the storm clouds. Maybe they maybe they've been doing this long enough that they knew. They all knew people who had died right out there on that water because they'd been out there when things got bad. And maybe, just maybe. They saw the storm on the horizon. And they're thinking, it's not a good idea to go out there. But the master bid them, right? Jesus constrained them. Jesus compelled them to go. Now, understand, it looks like the, the disciples don't want to go. That's what we know. We're speculating why. Um, I kind of lean towards, I think they saw the clouds gathering. But I don't know. Whatever it was, they resisted a little bit at first. Here's the thing. The Lord Jesus knew, right? He knew what they were getting ready to face. 
He knew the storm was coming. Man, you better be comparing that to you. I'm not up here saying all this for no reason. You better be comparing that and making an application to your own life. Right? God is asking you to do something. He knows the storms that you're going to face. He knows what is still ahead of you. But he also knew that even the wind and the seas would obey his voice, would obey him. That's the part that that's the part that they need to understand, and that's the part that you've got to understand. Following the Lord and doing what He's called you to do, and doing what He's asking you to do, and to step out in the faith, right, and do what it is uh, that you know that God God desires for you to do, and He's called you to do, He saved you to do, right? That doesn't mean that there won't be storms. As a matter of fact, we no most promise guarantee that there'll be storms. But remember who it is the one who called you, who it is the one who saved you, who it is the one that's given you this mission, this job that is compelling you to go out, right? We've been talking a lot about evangelism, compelling you to go out into the highways and the hedges, right? In uh, so anyways, he knows the storms it's going to face that you got to face. But he's also the one that speaks, "Peace be still." Right? Okay. So let's look at the, let's look at the storm. Verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Right? So Jesus has constrained them to go on. They have went. Jesus has went up into the mountain. He has prayed. We are way on into the night now. And the ship was now in the midst of the sea, the middle of the Sea of Galilee, they were troubled, or let's see, tossed with waves. So the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Soon after they left, a violent storm, right? A violent, literally, a violent wind has erupted. And they are caught, if, if, like I said, if we look at all the accounts of this and put it together, we will see that they are caught probably three or four miles out from shore. The wind is contrary to them. It keeps pushing them farther and farther out of course, off course, farther and farther away from the safety that land brings, and, far, and closer and closer, right, to the middle, to, to, the, to the worst place they could be. In a normal trip, if you look at the way that they'd done things then, they didn't, they didn't have big boats like we've got now, and especially what was on the Sea of Galilee. These are small boats, okay? Uh, and so anyways, when they, are, when they are traveling, they're not typically going across the middle of the sea. If they can avoid it, they do, because that's where the most danger is, right? They are typically fairly close to the shore. They're usually within sight of the shore, uh, it was rare for them to get more than a mile or two away from the shore. They are at, at least twice as far out into the, into the middle of the Sea of Galilee than what they normally go, okay? And so anyways, the storm has obviously carried them several miles. If we were to look at a map, probably several miles south, right out into the middle of the sea. And the disciples were being battered. 
by the waves and blown by the wind and pushed further and further away from their destination and closer and closer to disaster, right? That, that is what ultimately we need to pull from this, right? If you've heard this taught and preached about, uh, there's been a lot made at different times over whether or not the boat had a sail on it, if it was a sailboat and, you know, so on and so forth. What, you know, what was going on here, right? What had happened to the sail and, and so on and so forth. Look, whether or not the boat had a sail doesn't matter, right? It would have been useless in these high winds and these tossing waves, right? The only means of movement that they would have had was rowing and they were desperately struggling for their lives. That's what's happening. Now look at verse 25 and 26. And in the fourth watch, right? That's between 3 and 6 a.m. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. If we read the parallel account of this in Mark chapter 4, I can't remember where it is in Luke off the top of my head, but in Mark it's chapter 6, and in John it's chapter 6. I remember that because they're both chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 48, it says that Jesus saw them toiling and rowing. Toiling. Okay? They, they're struggling. All right? They are strained and they're rowing. This is somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m. Right? They're out there, right? If you do the math, this is like eight or nine hours later, right? This is the part I jokingly say, but it was, it was life and death serious to them. Uh, that's like, you know, Gilligan's Island, right? What was supposed to be a three-hour tour, right, was turning out to not be even close to that. Turned out to be a lot more than what they bargained for. Uh, this is a dire situation. So sometime between 3 and four or three and 6 a.m., right, that's the fourth watch of the night, right, the, literally the darkest part of the night, right, uh, just before dawn, Jesus came to them walking on the water, right? And I told you the disciples has already been out there, right? Eight or nine hours, right? They are wore out. The only reason they're still going is they're fighting for their lives against the, the wind and the storm and everything that was coming to them and at the darkest point when they have lost all hope that is when Jesus shows up. Can I ask you a couple serious questions? I'm going to use the phrase you but when I say you I mean us. We all. I'm part of you, okay? I'm not, I'm not doing a you and I. I'm doing a us and them. Are you any different than those disciples? You know, there has been teaching in the church, it's fair to say thousands of years, right? For over a thousand years. There has been teaching in the church that there is us and them. Title saint is used, right? Because of 
some what is believed to be some sort of extraordinary measures that has been that God has done through somebody uh, who has been uh, deemed a impeccable. I don't know what the right word to use is. A super Christian. Okay, let me just say it that way. Uh, a lot of the church for a long time have taught that there is this level of super Christians. And that's, that's what the, these disciples who become apostles, that's what they are as super Christians. And, and most of us, we're not the same. Can I say something to you this morning? The Bible does not teach that anywhere. The Bible does not even hint at that. But, but that's exactly, look, go around, there's buildings and there's cathedrals and things that's named after them, St. Gregory and St. blah, blah, blah. Listen to me. One, it's a misunderstanding of what the Scripture clearly says, right? The Scripture clearly refers to all those who are redeemed, all those who are saved, bought by the blood of the Lamb, glory to God, name written in the Lamb's book of life, on their way to heaven. It refers to all of us as saints, glory to God. Brother Randy, you ain't worthy of the title saint. I ain't worthy of the title saint. But glory to God, because God has sanctified us and set us apart, God, glory to God, and He's called us, hallelujah, we are His saints. Saint is just the term. For somebody who is sanctified, then you shorten that up and you get saint, right? It's like, it's like the title of, you know, MR for Mr. And, and, and so on and so forth. You understand what I'm saying? We are all, right? If you're saved, we're all God's saints. So let me ask you a question again. Is there any difference between us and them? Is there any difference between you and those men in that boat that night? Is God a respecter of persons? Will God do for them something that He will not do for us? The Scripture clearly says, right? Peter even says that a truth he's perceived, right? He's understood it, finally got through his hard head, and he finally understands that God is no respecter of persons. What he done for them, he'll do for us today, right? In their darkest hour, at the moment, whenever all hope is lost, in the moment when they are at complete exhaustion, they are toiling, they are straining for their lives, they feel all hope is gone. This is it. Here he comes, out of the midst of the darkest point of the night. Glory to God, walking on the water. And when he speaks, the winds and the waves and the sea. Listen it all. That's why I said a while ago, he's the one that says, peace be still. I'm glad you all understand and seem to be on the same page with me on this point this morning. Now go out and live like it. Go out and live like it. We worry ourselves sick over things that we hadn't ought to be worrying ourselves sick over. We let it control our lives and we become a slave to it. He says, "Be of good, be of, of, of good cheer." Right? Look at the encouragement here in verse twenty-seven. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, "Be of good cheer; it is I. Be not afraid." Now listen. He told them to go. They were reluctant because they kind of saw what was in store for them. But out of obedience, they go anyways. 
And at this point, it's the lowest of the darkest point, right? I mean, we can relate, we can understand. They are afraid. And here comes Jesus in that moment, at the, their darkest point, when they had lost all hope, Jesus showed up. Then Jesus come on the scene, glory to God. The encouragement, be of good cheer, take heart, be of good courage, pick up your chin, lift up your head. In reality, this is kind of a peculiar statement to make to a group of men that are in a storm on a sinking ship. Be of good cheer. But when it's it said to you by someone that is walking on a stormy sea, that seems to make a difference. They could do this. You know why? They could do this because the great I am was on the scene. Literally, when he says, it is I, that's literally the exact same phrase that God says when God is saying, sometimes it gets a little, when we translate, but he is saying, I am. That's what it means. I am. He didn't say, I was, he didn't say, or he's essentially, not literally, I said literally, I didn't mean to say literally. He's essentially saying the same thing. I am, he's declaring who he is here, right? And, he, and in that statement, I am, right? And James read it to us this morning. Whenever God is interacting with Moses, there it's at Mount Sinai it's where it's at. It's the burning bush is when that takes place. And he says, I am that I am, right? He's not saying I was. He didn't say I will be. He just simply said, I am. He said, tell them I am has sent you. Has sent you. Now, what does that mean to you and I today? Well, Jesus was the I am in the midst of their storm, and it is the same Jesus who is the I am in the midst of our storms today. So, what I'm trying to say, what I mean is, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changeth not. He is the I am. Not only is he the I am, right? It is I in the midst of their storm. He is the I am in the midst of your storm as well. You know, you know what, you know what I am is. It's an unfinished sentence, really. <laughs> if you think I am, I am what? You know, um, I'll tell you what. To the Christian. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. To the sinner, he is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. To everyone who will believe, he is the Son of the living God. He is their Savior, their Redeemer, and their Lord. He is the I Am. And all that we'll ever need is in Jesus. Understand that this morning if you leave with nothing else. And so there comes, uh, here comes in this set of events, here comes the Lord Jesus out there in the midst of their storm. And he says, don't be afraid. Why? Because I am the great I am. It is I is what he says there. And you know what? If you're one of his disciples, 
he'll show up in the midst of your storm too. That's what I come to tell you this morning. I don't know what the storm is that you're facing. And maybe it's still on the horizon. But he is still the great I am. He is still there. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Be not afraid is the exact phrase he says. Listen to me this morning as Jennifer comes for a song of invitation. God didn't have me preach this for no reason this morning. And I don't know what all it is that you might be going through, what it is that you might be facing, what it is that you might be experiencing. But here's what I do know. If you're one of his, you're not in this alone. If you're one of his disciples, there he'll be also. In the darkest hour, at the lowest point, right? When you feel like you can't go any longer, right? That's how I picture them. They have been, they have been straining, right, against the storm. And they are, plumb, they are plumb wore out. They are plumb give out. They went farther than what they thought. They, they pushed their bodies farther than what probably they thought they ever could. And they are at this point of complete exhaustion, this point of hopelessness. And there he is. Comes walking on the water. I am that I am. There he is in the midst of the storm. There he'll be in the midst of your storm as well. Will you stand to your feet? Can I say something to you, lost person? If you're out there and you're not sure where you stand with God, if you're out there this morning and you don't know, you don't know if he, if, you just don't know what to think about this. There's no way. This is all I can say to you. There is no way that I would leave here without knowing that I was one of his. There's no way I would leave here without being one of his disciples, one of his followers. There's no way I would leave here without giving my heart to him and surrendering all to him, turning everything over to him. There's no way that I would leave here in my own power thinking I can handle whatever it is that I'm going to face out there, thinking that I've got enough smarts, that I've got enough strength, that I've got enough uh, money or whatever the case may be, whatever I think it might take to deal with that or overcome that storm. There's no way that I, can th- that I would leave here thinking that I could be self-sufficient, right? That I could handle whatever is thrown at me. Listen to me. There is no way that I would leave here without knowing that I am one of his and that in my darkest hour. He'll do for me just exactly what he has done for them. I'm begging you, if you're lost, if you're not sure where you stand with, I'm begging you, would you come this morning? I'm begging you if maybe this is your dark hour. Maybe you're going through some things. Man, it says they cried out. This would be a good time for you to come and cry out to him. Whatever the need, whatever the burden is here this morning, would you come? Would you come?